the the book came out of uh, equal measures uh, enthusiasm for computer programming and frustration that uh, our education system hasn't really elevated computer programming to the level that I think it needs to be in our education system. And so until uh, until our government gets gets its act together and starts making computer programming a priority for our school system, I think we teachers need to just kind of take this in our own hands and find ways to, you know, integrate what uh, computer programming into what we're already teaching. And, you know, I've, I've seen teachers do it without any coding experience. So really what I was just trying to do is document that and put it all in one place and try to help teachers so that, you know, we can do what I think is just really right for our kids. You're listening to the EdTech Team Press Release, a podcast dedicated to inspiring teachers with a focus on technology, innovation, and empowering student voice. I'm your host, David Hotler. In this episode, we speak with Kevin Brookhauser, who's the author of two books, The 20 Time Project, How Educators Can Launch Google's Formula for Future-Ready Innovation, and Code in Every Class, How All Educators Can Teach Programming. Kevin is optimistic about the future because he believes many of the world's most pressing problems can be solved by current students who have access to great teachers and breakthrough technology. Kevin also likes to speak to people. He has keynoted around the world to tens of thousands of individuals about project-based learning, coding in schools, and how technology can transform education. He is currently a high school teacher at York School and helps teachers there use technology as the director of technology. Here's our conversation. You state quite clearly that one of the main objectives uh, in the writing is to dispel myths about what it means to be a coder or a programmer. I'm making quotes in the air. Uh, you, dis- you cite our culture stereotypes and, and the skills of these professions as the main reasons teachers often turn away from teaching coding or computer science principles in their classes. Can you sort of paint a picture for me of what it looks like in those first few days, first few lessons, uh, to be that teacher who decides to ignore the stereotypes and to dive in and really change their classroom? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, in some ways, the, the stere- there's the, there are still some true stereotypes. You know, the the tech industry does have a diversity problem, and um, I know that there's there's a lot of good work in in trying to change that. And and I am seeing a trend going in the right direction. Maybe not as fast as we want it to go, but I think you know when 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 I was younger, the the um, the stereotypical computer programmer was. You know the 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 uh, social inept person who uh, who just spent all their time in front of a computer. The the truth is what what the computer the programming industry needs is people from all different backgrounds to write programs and to develop the tools that uh, that meet the needs of all people. And that's you know that's one of the the. Uh, great opportunities for all people, um, but but as for you know teachers who are just interested in dipping their toes into computer programming, I I one of the misconceptions is that computer programmers are these these tech geniuses 
that know everything and know how to, to, to do everything on a computer and know that every, know how every component of a computer works. And that is absolutely the farthest from the truth almost across the board. I mean, you could, you could handpick any, um, pretty much any Googler, Googler engineer or Microsoft engineer or Apple engineer from these top companies and ask them about what their experience is like programming and, um, Ask them to compare what they know to what they don't know. And, and across the board, everyone who's in computer programming knows that, that they only know a tiny slice of the work that they're doing. And all computer programming is a collaborative effort um, with a broad variety of skill sets. So first of all, to get involved in computer programming, you don't need to know everything. In fact, you can't know everything. Um, there's, there's a lot of research out there that the, the, those who are most successful at a, at, a, at a challenging task like computer programmers, are those who are most successful are the ones who embrace that mindset of being willing to tackle a challenge that they don't feel like they're an expert in. Um, no, almost, almost almost uh, nobody feels like they're an expert at computer programming because there's so much that could possibly be known that, that nobody can know everything. And, and the, the, the secret is almost all computer programmers feel like vaguely incompetent at the work that they're doing because there's so much that they don't know. So I guess my, that's a long way of saying that you, no teacher should worry about feeling adequate to take on computer programming. Um, is, it, is it possible that, that your students will know more than you know about a particular programming platform that you introduce or you expose your students to? Not only is it possible, but it's probable. I mean, if, if, if they don't already know, there's a, there's a good chance that the kids are going to move uh, past and go beyond what, what your current knowledge is. Just by the nature of computer programming, there's so many different directions that you can go that, and you, you want to allow your students to pursue those different directions. Inevitably, they're going to have a level of expertise that goes beyond whatever it is that you have. Um, and, and I say from a, I, I say this through a great deal of experience. My students continually blow me away and, and show me the work that they're doing. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And how does it work? And, and a lot of times they explain it to me, but you know, that's, that's, that's consistent with a general paradigm shift that I think we need to embrace in education in general. You know, the, the, that, that era when the teacher needed to be the expert in front of the room delivering knowledge to those students who would absorb that knowledge, that, that era is pretty much gone. And we need to be coaches alongside of our students and pushing them to move forward. So uh, you go on to say in the book that that failing to teach coding in our schools will soon be like failing to teach any other major subject. Uh, that, that not understanding the basics of coding language will result in a generation of students who will miss out on, quote, many of today's opportunities. I wonder if you could maybe describe for me what you mean here. I think when I first read this line, I, I thought just of the careers that they might be missing out on. But I wonder if you could describe a future where knowing some code will be similar to knowing like a little bit of Spanish or kind of how to cook. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
What what is that? What is that um, common phrase like? Knowing another language is like having another consciousness, almost, right? Isn't that? It's something like that. Yeah. Um, and and it really does expand your mind. And you know, I found that that when I was had more fluency in Spanish than I do now, I've lost it because I haven't gotten to travel um, as, as much as I have when I was younger. But um, I. I you know, you find that you you completely think differently. Like you you have almost an additional lot mind when you when you have a, another language, and uh, you know I think that one might get stuck in the pitfall of thinking, well, the the value of learning computer programming is maybe you become a computer programmer for your career. the The truth is there aren't an unlimited supply of computer programming jobs available. There's a lot of them available and a lot of them are really great. But I think that we're going to eventually see a decline in the number of computer programming jobs available. But there will be no decline in the number of career opportunities available to those who understand computational thinking and know what's possible with computer programming. So just on the career aspect, I, you know, I don't think that, that all of my students are going to end up being computer programmers. Many of them are going to be, uh, be managers or entrepreneurs or creators or artists. And those individuals who understand um, computer programming in general and also knowing what's possible through computer programming are going to be super empowered compared to those who have no idea what's happening behind that phone that they're playing with. So, so that on a, fun, on a practical level, I think is going to be useful for anybody who takes on pretty much any career. But, but I'm, I'm glad you, you, know, you touched upon the value beyond just career benefits. Um, being able to program a computer, if you can program a computer, you know how to think and solve problems in a way that mere mortals do not, because really computer programming is, is simply problem solving. If you've ever experienced what it's like to um, build a computer program or to work on a computer programming, all you're doing is fixing problems because immediately, once you get started, you're gonna run into a roadblock. Something is gonna go wrong and you're not, you know, it's, the program's not gonna behave the way that you expect it to behave. And basically you, you go into problem solving mode and you go through a, you, you learn through the process of fixing a computer program, you learn the kind of computational thinking that I think we all benefit, all can benefit from no matter what sort of digital or analog life we end up living. You know, if we make our, if we increasingly make decisions that use the kind of logic that's that's required in solving a, um, a computer program problem. Um, I think that we would we would generally solve problems faster, more more efficiently, and um, in in real new and novel ways. And that's that's really kind of my mission statement is to try to create a generation of problem solvers. The whole the whole concept of what you're describing reminds me of an NPR interview I was listening to, they had a computer programmer talking about the data of elections. And he was, he was recounting uh, the, the election night 
and looking at a website that had like a live feed uh, vote counter. And he's thinking like, I don't, how is that even possible? So he said that it was actually pretty simple to, to look at the source code of the site and without knowing a great deal about coding, see that the numbers were being just generated uh, by a code and, and, and were not actually being pulled in. They weren't live feed numbers. And he, <laughs> they were artificial predictions. It was just an artificial prediction that was coming in. He said, I, <laughs> I wasn't even uh, using a great deal of knowledge. It, it reminds me or it makes me think of this conversation because it's like, you know, just that little bit of understanding. It's like being in a foreign country or seeing a, a, a language on a sign in your country and saying, wait, that's the wrong translation for that. Like, that's not how that's supposed <laughs> right. to look. Um, so, you know, I wonder if in the right. future we'll be looking at the source code of websites to, like, determine the validity and the authenticity of things by looking at that source code, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, it really is the language of the future. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that when people have exposure to that and some familiar familiarity with the kind of thinking that's required to, to detect bugs and to solve problems and to, and to write code. Um, I think that they can make, have clarity in the, their decisions in a way that you can't have when simply making decisions without that experience in using pretty rigorous logic. So you're clearly a big proponent of big change in education. Uh, in the book, you state uh, that just like the world around us has changed since, say, the 1980s, so should the education we use to prepare people for it. Uh, you also say that one reason this type of reform isn't happening is due in large part to teachers' fear of sort of breaking, quote, traditional educational culture. Basically, we teachers were not taught that way, so why should we teach that way? Do you see the incorporation of coding into uh, lessons across the entire curriculum as sort of a universal catalyst for a bigger reform of education? I mean, we're saying it's the language of the future, it's the language of the technology in all of our pockets, it's something that every human now can relate to. Uh, is this is this the catalyst we need for a bigger reform in education? Well, I think it's one of them, right? I mean, so it, it, the education that, that I experienced and that many of my students have experienced when they come to me is one where they're, um, they're a, one of the two parties to an unwritten contract. That, that unwritten contract between the student and the teacher um, basically goes like this. The teacher tells the student what to do, the student does that thing to the extent to which they want to be to, to achieve a certain grade. And then the teacher evaluates the student on, you know, on that thing that they do and, and hands out a grade. Um, and that is, you know, th that works really well for algorithmic learning. So when you really want students to learn how to follow a set of instructions to achieve a certain task, and so, you know, whether that's um, solving a math problem or learning how to determine what preposition to use in a sentence or um, to, to gain insight on a, 
a sociological trend that you could track throughout history. Right? So all of those, those things are applying a pre-established algorithm to make, you know, to solve a problem. And you know, a lot of what we do in school is, is that kind of teaching. Um, the, maybe this is a little ironic, but you can't teach coding through algorithmic learning. You, know, you can't teach algorithms by, th through an algorithm. Um, and l l let, me, let me explain that a, a little more. Um, you, you, can, you, can, you can teach students what a, what a conditional is or what a procedure is in computer programming, but they're not going to really know how to think like a computer programmer unless they're simply given a challenge and they go through the, the really difficult and, and, uh, and tough work of solving that challenge through making mistakes. And that's called, that's rather than algorithmic learning, I think that you might call that heuristic learning or heuristic problem solving. And that's problem solving through trial and error. And the reason students and teachers have a hard time with heuristic learning, learning through trial and error is because it violates that contract where the, the, the teacher tells the students what to do and the students simply do that thing in the way that the teacher describes by following that algorithm. Um, and, and students have, are, are used to following a set of instructions and getting a reward in the form of a grade based on whether they follow those instructions. It doesn't embrace the trial and error mentality. So a lot of students that come to me are afraid of trial and error because they think error is bad. Right? But, but, but the truth is, the way computer programmers work, in fact, the way almost everybody in the real world works, is by producing something and, and learning through mistakes. And yet we still, even though we talk about it over and over again, we still have not yet dismantled the mindset that, uh, that penalizes error. I feel like by the time I graduated high school, I was like, I was just really good at school. <laughs> right. Like I, like, I don't think I was really great at any one particular subject. I mean, a few stood out, but I feel like I had just mastered what it took to to be at school, you know? And part of that was anticipating what your teacher wanted, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, figuring out what would get them to give me what I wanted, which was <laughs> right. the grade that would then allow me to do what I wanted because the grade was like a benchmark for my mom saying, yes, you can leave the house with your car. You know, so <laughs> right, just like right, right, the right. algorithm that went through my head, like started in that classroom, like making sure that, that I got what I needed out of the teacher. So um, I want to read a quote from the book. Uh, <clears throat> We teach our students to write, even though few of us are published authors. We teach mathematics, even though we are rarely mathematicians, accountants, or physicists. We teach the basics of science, social studies, and history without being full-time professionals in those fields. Similarly, our new role is to share what expert knowledge we do have and model curiosity about what we don't know. Uh, 
And I really love that last line, model curiosity for students. And I'm like, I'm racking my brain trying to think of the last time I did this in an unscripted way. Like, yes, the teacher writes us something on the board and is like, say, I wonder what it means. I wonder what would happen. And you're like, you're modeling what it would look like to wonder. But that's like such crap, you know, like if if we're going to truly model curiosity, it's it almost feels like it's coming from a, a place of weakness. Right, right. Well, because usually curiosity only comes when you don't know something, right? I mean, it has to. You can't be curious about something that you're certain of, right? And we're so afraid, especially we teachers who are supposed to be the experts in the room, we're, we're afraid to admit when we don't know something. But, but I think the, the, you know, the single best way to model that curiosity that, that we need so badly is by saying three simple words, I don't know, but then adding the next three words, let's find out. And you know, you sit side by side with that student, you show like how exciting it is to discover something that you don't know. Because I mean, that's the big tragedy, right, David? I mean, we all have a huge, I mean, there's a huge unlimited supply of things we don't know, but very few people really have a sense of what they don't know or get excited about what they don't know. But that's exactly what we need to do in our classrooms is, is demonstrate and model that excitement for, wow, I don't know the answer to that question. Let's figure it out. And that's the beauty of, you know, living at a time when we've got Chromebooks in the classroom or whatever it is where we can look things up and find the experts, find the experts who do know those things and learn from them. Yeah. Especially, especially when you think about curiosity, like you just said, it requires you to not know. And I think it also there's that second component of it requiring you to want to know. And I think right. a, yeah. a big part of the book is is how you can design these, how you can bring coding into a well-designed lesson to build in that desire for, for students to not only not know the answer, because we already know that most of them, a lot of them aren't going to know the answers, but to want to figure out how how everything works. Yeah. Well, and and I got to say that's that can be the easy part. Um because if you've ever experienced and and I've got a great video of this in my YouTube channel. Um I was just recording some students really struggling with a Python problem. And I decided to just hit record and see what happened. And you know, they they're they're hitting their heads in frustration and they're totally frustrated and then they finally figure out what it was, what that problem was that was causing their program not to function they wanted, the, the way they wanted it to function. And it was a simple little, you know, duh moment, but it was so satisfying. And you could see the endorphins rush through those brains when they discovered what it was that had been, been bugging them for the, the past 40 minutes. Hey, podcast listeners, if you're enjoying this conversation, you might like our VR360 video show, The Bookmark, where in five minutes or less, we break down the big ideas of the best reads in education that focus on technology, innovation, and empowering students. Find it exclusively on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com 
forward slash edtechteampress. All right, back to the conversation. And it's just this really satisfying um, experience to go from not knowing to knowing. And, and computer programming is, is something special in that it puts it out into the front. And I think it's, it's, it's relatively, sim it taps into a, a, an experience that individuals also get when they do a, like a breakout EDU. The, the reason breakout EDU is so successful is, is that it just, it puts a lot of those, it puts the, uh, the experience of discovery right in front of you. It's, it's so obvious when you transition from not knowing to knowing that it becomes this really like, it's an instant thing and then, it, and then you celebrate it. And I don't think that we get as much of those celebrations from not knowing to knowing, but, but you totally see it in Breakout EDU and you totally see it when kids are working in computer programming. Because figuring out the Pythagorean theorem <laughs> is only, only going to be cool to some students. Right. Uh, so uh, a better part of the book is dedicated to sharing with teachers uh, what we can or that we can and, and that we should teach coding. And, and we had a good conversation about it now. And then there's a very lengthy part, probably about half of it, dedicated to the how. Uh, you've got everything from gaining administrative support to planning your first lesson to scaling up into a bigger program. So um, right at the beginning, however, you assure the reader, and we just talked about this, that no computers are necessary to get started. And in fact, you say that it's it's actually better to start without computers. So I was wondering if if you could just give us like a quick lesson about how a listener could could stop listening and plan a lesson uh, that would use coding principles or computer science principles right now in their classes with no computers and, and no technology and really little to no prior knowledge about coding. Yeah. So I don't know how pervasive this activity is. Have you ever experienced the where where you, you ask a group of students to write down the instructions on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And then, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. It, it, I do. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because you tell them, like, if I were to follow these instructions exactly, I would just try and stuff a loaf of bread into a toaster without cutting it. You're something along those lines. You know? Right, exactly. It's, it's a pretty, like, it, it's, it's a cool experience. And what it does is it reveals um, how much we assume and how uh, in our natural language that we use to speak to each other, how... Uh, how we're making connections based upon the assumptions that we have between the two people in a conversation. And, uh, and, and when you try to follow a set of instructions, like how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, quite literally, you realize uh, some of the challenges of computer programs. <clears throat> because Computers are really good about doing, calculating things fast and following instructions very quickly, way faster than any of us can follow a set of instructions. But what they're really bad at is understanding the spirit of our intentions, right? They don't really know that, you know, you're trying to make the, you're, you're trying to make a circle, 
right? They just know that you're, you're following a, a very precise set of instructions and they follow it to a T. And that is what particular, that's what, um, creates some of the, the challenges that, that new programmers face. So that's one way to expose people without using a computer program. What's going to happen when, uh, when kids get started with computer programming. But once you've done that is you, you start to learn how to be pretty precise in your instructions because that's what, you're, that's what you do when you write computer programs. You write instructions, right? And uh, you've got to be incredibly precise in, in the way your instructions are written. And often if you do one little thing wrong, you know, the, it goes haywire and, and it just breaks. And it's part of your job is finding that one little bit of instruction that you did wrong that caused the robot to put the entire loaf of bread in the toaster, right? So the next thing you might consider doing to, to, uh, is, is getting assigning one student to be the robot and another student to be the coder. And the, you, uh, you establish a language, right? And you establish commands that are integral to that language. So we'll start with some pretty simple commands like walk forward is a command. Um, it's a type of uh, statement that would be used in a computer program. So you, you say walk forward 10 steps and, uh, and the robot, the other student, who plays the role of the robot looks at those instructions as walk forward 10 steps. Well, then you tell, you add a new command. You say turn right is another command and the unit is in degrees rather than in steps. So turn right 90 degrees. And uh, okay, so then the, the robot turns right 90 degrees and then you can go forward another, what did we say, 100 steps or 10 steps? Um, 10 steps, so it's go, go forward another 10 steps. And, and through, if you follow those commands, forward 10 steps, turn right 90 degrees, forward 10 steps, then what we've just done is made what's like an upside down L. Well, if you loop that, if you do that, repeat that four times, then the robot has walked in a square, right? And this can all be done with pencil and paper and kids out in a, in a, in a playground. You could, get, you could get colored chalk involved, and so you can write computer programs that instruct human robots to make drawings on sidewalk chalk drawings on the floor of a, on the ground of a playground. Um, and there, so you, you start to, to teach uh, commands, and then you could, you could teach a loop. So instead of saying go forward 10 spaces, right 90 degrees, forward 10 spaces, right 90 degrees, forward 10 spaces, right 90 degrees, that's a, you know, that, that will result in a square. But how cool would it be is if you added a new command called loop and you could say loop four times and then uh, indented under that loop is forward 10 spaces, right 90 degrees. And basically what that does is it repeats that four times you achieve the same result, but you've got fewer lines of code. And you know, if you stack the, those instructions next to each other, you can see why one is just a more elegant method of achieving the same, uh, same outcome. And that, that kind of thinking, the, the thinking require, required to be more elegant and be more efficient in your code, um, that is, that's a really fundamental lesson that all computer programmers 
are uh, you know think about when they're when they're doing their work. You definitely see how once you start to build in the challenges uh, that can translate into real world challenges. You know, you only have so much space to store these lines of code. Building in redundancies like loops is is a real challenge that you have to that you have to accomplish. And so yeah, and you know you you can even go into uh, like procedures, right? So let's say you've got a group, of, you, you assign, you have different groups and they're out on the playground and they need to write a code and you give each of them a shape. Like this kid needs to, to the, this group needs to produce the code to, to um, make a star, a five pointed star. This group needs to make a code to make an octagon. This group over here needs to create the code to make a circle, which is actually more complicated than any of the others. Um, in but but anyway, that's that's it's a fun challenge for them to kind of intellectually think about. How do you go about making a circle? But then what you do is once each group has figured out how to make that shape using their code, then what you can do is assign that as as what's called a procedure. And so you basically say, okay, this set of code is what we will call square. This set of code is what we will call five star for a five pointed star. And basically what you're teaching the whole group is how collaborative coding works. Basically individuals are writing these, uh, or individual different groups are writing these libraries for the entire group to use. So now that, that this group over here figured out how to make a five pointed star, now every other group has access to that procedure without actually needing to know how to make that five point star, they can just call upon that library. I don't know if that's making any sense, but it's really cool. Um, it, it's exactly how groups in like GitHub work together. You know, the, most of the programs that are that you and I use on our phones and our computers aren't written from scratch by, you know, a group dedicated to making that, what they're doing is they're piecing together code that they're finding uh, out in, in the, in, you know, in the open source and, and applying that code that they may not even fully understand, but they know that it works. And so they simply embed it into their code. And just that exercise in the playground of, of students observing other groups do their work to accomplish that task that they've, they've had, it, it allows them to, it, it teaches them how powerful teamwork and, and really an open source uh, project can, can, can be. Right. And, and to support your other point, you know, not all of the students that we teach these principles to are going to go on to a, a lesson in coding. But, you know, I'm a teacher and I collaborate with other teachers using templates and lesson plans on Google Docs and you know it I don't create everything from scratch either so um, it's it's just fundamentally it's it's teaching sort of a, a greater good teamwork um, you know mentality that that is applying to to really anything so I, I think it's fantastic I think you've I think you've done something really special here putting this together I I've got to interject on that. You know, it was all, um, this is a project that was a result of teamwork as well. I mean, first of all, my, my co-author, Rhea, she's just a, an amazing human being. And, and uh, we, we work so well together on putting this together. Um, you know, you mentioned that line about how we don't teach writers 
because we think they're all going to be professional writers. Well, that, you know, that was an insight that, that I got from uh, our experience together, David, at the uh, Innovative Academy last, last year in Mountain View when, when Carrie Ann Philbin came in and talked about the work that she had done with Raspberry Pi. And, and that really um, inspired a lot of, of what, what ended up in this book. You don't need anything to get started. But just in case you do want to get started, you can go buy one of these uh, uh, Raspberry Pis for uh, a whopping six dollars a piece. So don't. There isn't a very steep entry level <laughs> to starting to code and to really digging in deep to this language and this world. So um, I listen. I appreciate your time and I appreciate you uh, answering the questions. And, uh, and thank you, David. I really appreciate uh, you having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening. Before we go, we'd like to ask you to consider leaving us feedback in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us reach more teachers and improve our content. As always, thanks for listening to another episode. To learn more about today's author, please visit www.edtechteam.press. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, you might like Spark Radio, short, inspirational talks just for teachers found right in the EdTech Team press release episode stream. Thanks for subscribing and have a great week of teaching and learning. Until next time.